Is Fetterman brain dead? AI is tracking you in real time and supporting former Project Veritas is James O'Keefe. We got all that and more coming up. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. We are live on Rumble.com, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch.tv. Why am I still hearing music in my headphones? It's muted. It shouldn't be. It's gone. Okay. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, welcome to the show. We got all that and many, many more things coming up to talk about tonight. Uh, by the way, what? Now I'm hearing... This is the... Okay, the audio is screwed tonight. I'm hearing my opening. I don't know where that's coming from. But anyway, uh, there you go. All right. Let's just mute that. Okay, we'll go over there. Good, good, good. Okay, here we go. All right, we got all that more coming up tonight. Uh, before we start, uh, somebody put, posted a comment on my YouTube uh, feed that said, okay, boomer. <laughs> well, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. I fully admit I am a 1,000% dyed-in-the-wool boomer. Proud of it because I grew up through the 60s and the 70s and 80s and 90s probably one of the most transformative times in the history of this country. And I loved it. I absolutely, I've often said, you know what, if I die tomorrow, I'm okay with that. I had the most amazing life. I had an incredible career in radio, television, film. Uh, I had the best of friends. I had the most amazing experiences. And um, it was great. I loved every minute of it. I regret none of it, and uh, life goes on. But yes, I am a boomer, and damn proud of it. So if you thought you were insulting me, you're not. <laughs> Let's get on with the show. We got our Miko update. This is our little Shiba Inu baby. She's three years old, and we call her Miko. And uh, this is the Miko update. So where are we? Where'd we go? Oh, there we are. There she is, just from about an hour ago. She was hanging out down in the living room looking pretty. So uh, we had to snap a shot. And uh, it's funny because one of her high value, highest value treats is pig ears. They make these dried pig ears, you know, when they slaughter the pigs. What else are they going to do? They got to sell all the parts. And pig ears are a favorite of a lot of dogs, Miko in particular. She absolutely loves these things. She will not eat it right away. She will sit there and guard it, hoping that you might actually come along and try and steal it from her so she can bite your hands off. But actually it was funny because tonight I got up off the couch and I walked by her house where she had her, her pig ear stored. And uh, she was watching it. She was watching me. So I walked past and she got up and was like, don't head for my house or I'll bite your hands off. And so I went, walked, just walked by her, walked towards the kitchen and she barked at me. That's the first time she's ever done that. She, it wasn't a mean bark. It was just a bar, a normal bark. But it was like, hey, my pig ears here, don't touch it. <laughs> strangest thing anyway she's doing great had a good walk today and uh ate her dinner all by herself so we're very proud of that and uh she's right now downstairs finishing the last of her pig ear she does eventually eat it 
but she enjoys the hunt. So our Miko update, of course, brought to you by the good folks at BarkBox.com. The link is in our show notes if you uh, forget it, but it's easy to remember, BarkBox.com slash Miko. And if you go to that, you will get an extra month free when you sign up for a multi-month subscription. BarkBox is a monthly a subscription service every month delivered right to your door you will get a box full of goodies for your dog two bags of treats two toys and a dog chew size right for your dog and if you have any allergies your dog has any allergies you just check the box and they'll make sure you don't get that their treats and uh, chews are all natural good for you no artificial ingredients they're all great their toys every month have a different theme and uh, you'll get it delivered right to your door. And you will get an extra month free if you use our link, BarkBox.com slash Miko. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is the last week for this other offer. If you see down below our link to BarkBox.com slash Miko, it says OR. And you go to that link, you can get a free dog bed when you sign up for a multi-month subscription. They're beautiful. They come in three different sizes, of course, small, medium, and large, depending upon your dog. They also come in three different coverings, and they're all gorgeous. I would have a hard time picking. So check that out if you'd prefer, as opposed to the extra month. You can get a, uh, a free dog bed from BarkBox.com, courtesy of the Jay Sheldon Show, and, of course, our dear little Miko. BarkBox.com slash Miko is the link. Make sure you check it out. All right. It is time to get into what we came here for. And that is all the crap that goes on today. Uh, Fetterman, who was, God knows how this man got uh, elected. Well, you know what? I think I do know how I, he got elected. But, you know, if we say it, we'll probably get, we'll at least get thrown off of YouTube. Anyway, uh, is John Fetterman brain dead? That's been all over Twitter today. Uh, and basically the answer is it depends who you ask. This is from usanews.com. The link is in our show notes. And it's uh, Senator John Fetterman. from has been in the news lately for his physical and mental health. The senator has been reported to be struggling with his health, but the truth has been kept under wraps by Democrats until recently. The truth about Fetterman's condition has only been revealed through leaks to the media and only after events that proved the lies. Fetterman is said to be brain dead and unable to take care of himself, much less perform his job as a senator. Democrats have been determined to silence the truth about Fetterman's condition until after August 28th to avoid a special election, which they understand would, they would almost certainly lose. Uh, Pennsylvania Democrat Governor Josh Shapiro says he will dismiss any calls for the senator to step down after he checked himself into the Walter Reed National Military Center to retrieve, uh, receive treatment for clinical depression. Uh, Shapiro says Fetterman will get the help he needs and do a great job for the people of Pennsylvania. Yeah, right. Uh, the lies about Fetterman's health have been circulating since last year. Fetterman has a bad heart, which wasn't disclosed until his debilitating stroke last May. The stroke was much worse than his campaign led on. Fetterman has also battled depression all of his life, but wasn't, that wasn't disclosed until 10 days ago when he was hospitalized for clinical depression. 
He was sworn in as Senator January 3rd, kept a low profile and his, until his office reported he had checked himself into George Washington University Hospital on February 8th after feeling lightheaded. His spokesman released statements that all tests on Fetterman came back negative and he was released after two days. However, what the spokesman did not disclose was that Fetterman was diagnosed with depression and advised to seek the capital physician, which he did the following Monday. The doctor recommended Fetterman check himself into the hospital for clinical depression. His symptoms for depression included weight loss, loss of appetite. He was not suicidal, but his lack of eating and drinking contributed to his lightheadedness. One reason to treat depression in the hospital is that care can happen faster. Doctors can try and approaches, different approaches, and pivot if they need to if something isn't working. Uh, another reason, it's safe. People with depression sometimes have trouble with the activities of daily living. We've all seen examples of how John Fetterman has trouble even communicating. And the hospital, you know, can support them as they try and get better. The New York Times reported Fetterman's adjustment to serving in the Senate has been made vastly more difficult by the strains of recovery. Fetterman's staff has uh, realized he needs a better plan to take care of himself both both physically and emotionally. So this is the story out of a site called USA, USSA News. All right. Now, to be fair, we looked at the Free Beacon story, and I've got that for you. And this is what the Free Beacon had to say, compare this to the story I just read to you. On the campaign trail, John Fetterman cited doctor's notes attesting to his vitality, and now he says he was told to get more rest. Fetterman's medical issues raised questions about what medical advice the stroke survivor actually received. Uh, Then Senate candidate, in June of 22, John Fetterman pointed to a doctor's note that indicated he could campaign and serve in the U.S. Senate without a problem after suffering a stroke in May. After returning to the campaign trail in August, Fetterman told voters he was feeling great, better than I have in years, end quote. In October, his campaign released a second doctor's note giving Fetterman a clean bill of health. Now, fast forward six weeks in office, Fetterman's painting a starkly different account of the medical advice he received on the campaign trail. After Fetterman was hospitalized for lightheadedness earlier this month, the Times reported that the freshman senator believes he may have set himself back permanently by not taking the recommended amounts of rest during the campaign after his stroke. Now, Fetterman is laid up in Walter Reed National Military Center, receiving treatment for severe critical uh, depression, clinical depression. His second hospital stay during his six weeks in office, contrasting and contradictory statements, raised questions about what medical advice the stroke survivor actually received and whether he was candid about it with the voters. Shading the truth in order to win one of the most competitive Senate races in the country. Fetterman's office did not respond 
to a request for comment. This says the doctor says he's fine. The other one says he's virtually brain dead. Who do you believe? In either case, one of the side stories that evolved out of this whole Fetterman muck is this, and that's his wife. Senator Fetterman's wife has been slammed, as well she should be, for abandoning her husband in the hospital and fleeing the country to go on vacation. Look at this woman. Yeesh. His wife slammed on social media Friday after she revealed the first thing she did after her husband was hospitalized with severe depression was go on vacation. A lot of this is repetitive from the articles I've just read. Um, Gazelle Fetterman, his wife, who lived illegally in the U.S. for more than a decade, said she took the family to Canada for a vacation after leaving her husband in the hospital. Who does that? Your husband is in the hospital with severe clinical depression, and you go to vacation outside the country? I'm not really sure how to navigate this journey, but I'm figuring it out slowly, she said. One week ago today, when the news dropped, the kids were off school and the media truck circled our home. I did the first thing I could think of, pack them in the car and drive. There's a tweet from her here. She faces intense criticism online over the move, which many said was indicative of narcissistic behavior. <laughs> yeah. Former Education uh, Press Secretary Angela Morabito tweeted, She abandoned her husband in the hospital, took her kids to another country, and wants you to believe she's inspirational? Michael Duckin of the Calvary Affairs Public Affairs firm tweeted, In any good prenup, this behavior would immediately annul the marriage. I still can't believe the tweet is real. This is textbook malignant narcissist behavior. Seattle-based conservative radio host Jason Rance tweeted, Senator John Fetterman's wife brags about abandoning her husband in the hospital and fleeing the country on vacation while he battles severe depression. Unbelievable. A senior aide tells me both the staff and Fetterman himself were taken by surprise by the severe onset of depression. The aide also says this hasn't compromised his ability to do the job going forward, and he'll be back to work once he's taken care of his mental health. Okay. <laughs> this story just gets interestinger and interestinger. Unbelievable. So, the answer to the question I put is nobody knows, and you're probably not going to know. Believe who you want to believe, I guess. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. All right, speaking of which, 
You ready for some more AI news? Researchers, when it starts off with that word, I automatically know it's going to be trouble. Researchers have developed AI for monitoring in real time your behavior in cities. In real time. Once again, put on the tinfoil hats. Nope, no need. We need more conspiracy theories because all of ours are coming true. Researchers at the Alan Turing Institute have developed an AI tool that can analyze people's behaviors in cities 400 times faster than the current methods. Lead researcher Professor Mark Girolami said the system combines machine learning and classical numerical models to allow large-scale behavior analysis at city, regional, and national levels. The research, published by the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, it has examples like how traffic congestion measures uh, can affect retail behavior in London, analyzing how groups of people behave and move around in a city using observed data like traffic cameras, is a big challenge. But AI gives us the ability to simulate urban environments and study the behavior and movements of people more easily. Our research describes one of the first ways to solve the problem using artificial neural networks. Hmm. We hope this method offers a powerful tool to understand the behavior of people in cities. They're watching you. They're analyzing you. And who knows what's next? It isn't going to be good. I'm sure of that. You want to read this whole article? Check it out. The link is in our show notes tonight. Researchers developing AI for monitoring real-time behavior of you. Get ready for it. Hey, yeah, uh, we all, I no doubt you've been familiar with the James O'Keefe story that's been in the news a lot in the last week or two. James O'Keefe is out at Project Veritas. It, the funniest part has been the followers on Twitter. Uh, Project Veritas has lost hundreds of thousands of followers, including me. Uh, and James O'Keefe has gained hundreds of thousands of followers. In fact, the last I checked, he has now more followers than Project Veritas. So there you go. <laughs> Unbelievable. And people are getting behind him too. Staffers have released a new statement as whistleblowers, and they say they stand with James O'Keefe. This article from the uh, Epic Times. There's the man. Staffers at Project Veritas have released a statement as whistleblowers saying they support ousted founder James O'Keefe in a February 24th video statement. So just a few days ago, Project Veritas staffers say they are at a crossroads due to the dispute between O'Keefe and the board of directors of Project Veritas. He departed this week after being suspended and stripped of his authority. The board has said it uncovered signs of financial malfeasance, but it didn't terminate O'Keefe. Staffers said Thursday that supporters should give us a chance as they work to continue O'Keefe's mission. 
We want James back, Staffers said in the new video, but we have a duty to our generous supporters, all of you, and to our journalistic integrity to break record stories which impact our culture, and most importantly, what? And most importantly, oh, the future of our country. <laughs> Staffers said they are committed to continuing to work to expose waste, fraud, and abuse, and that no board or donor ever tells us what to report. We'll never replace James O'Keefe, but for now we see it as our job to hold the torch for him while keeping the door wide open for his return. We'll see. But in my book, Project Veritas, without James O'Keefe, just isn't Project Veritas. No doubt about it. All right, the Daily Signal's our next story. You ready for more government-mandated wokeness? Because you're going to get it, good and hard. Biden turns America's government into Wokeness Inc. This is from the Daily Signal. Frightening. Some moron. As President's Day weekend loomed last week, the Biden administration dropped a very little heard about executive order. You probably haven't heard about this one. The order happened to be one of the broadest, most transformative executive orders in modern American history. It turned the federal government into one giant machine designed for the propagation of woke principles. If you haven't heard about this, listen up. Biden's so-called executive order on further advancing racial equity and support for the underserved communities through the federal government presumably titled in jargonistic gobbledygook in order to avoid the scrutiny, set out the key guiding principles of the Biden administration. This principle, equity, will now be used to redirect the entirety of the federal government's powers. What, pray tell, is equity? It certainly isn't equality. The presumption that Americans ought to be treated equally under the law as individuals. Instead, equity presumes that any group disparities must be the result of perverse government policies and that the only corrective uh, is the government intervening. This new executive order, a follow-up to the first order Biden signed on his first day in office, suggests that by advancing equity, equity, not equality, equity, the federal government can support and empower all Americans, including many communities in America that have been underserved, discriminated against, and adversely affected by persistent poverty and inequality. Poverty, you see, is purely the outgrowth of discrimination and lack of service. Individuals must never be implicated in their own failures, nor can cultural differences justify group underperformance. 
as author and university professor Ibram Kendi, moron, as an anti-racist, when I see racial disparity, I see racism. This is the man who couldn't define racism without using the word racism. This is just insane. And this is an executive order that the president has signed. And it's happening. Whether you like it or not, it is dangerous. It needs to be stopped. It is volative of constitutional principles, both in terms of separation of power and under the Equal Protection Clause, which is designed to prevent exactly the sort of group-driven resource allocation that Biden is in favor of. Read more about this in this article. It is in our show notes. It's from the Daily Signal. It is an eye-opener. An eye-opener. You need to know about it. Not only do you need to know about it, you need to do something about it. Get off your butt. Get out there. Talk to your representatives. Talk to your congresspeople. And ask them what they're doing about it. Chances are not much. But if you let them know that you vote and you're watching them and you are opposed to this crap, they might just listen. All right, we got one more good news story for you. Well, one good news story for you before we get on to our uh, our book tonight. This is a great one. <coughs> Excuse me. A young boy with autism called 911 after he lost his teddy bear. He was upset. He wanted help. So he called 911. Well, fortunately, the cop who showed up had a big heart. There's the guy. When you're young, you lose your favorite toy. It can be very bothersome. If you are autistic, it can be devastating. And in some of these cases, the police are called in to help. This guy's 12 years old. His name is Paul Ryan. He's from Woodbridge, New Jersey. He is autistic. So it's really no wonder that he became extremely upset when he lost his longtime friend, a teddy bear named Freddy. He was quite upset, so upset, in fact, he phoned 911, the emergency number. And after doing so, a police officer was at the family's door in a very short time. There he is with his teddy bear. Officer Kyrie Manzini showed up to make sure everyone in the household was safe. And with this officer's help, they found Freddy, unharmed. Ryan gave the officer a big hug and thanked him for helping him find his precious friend. Manzini was dispatched to the scene because... He was one of the officers who'd taken special training in dealing with those with autism. And it really came in handy in this instance. There's the big hug. (laughs) Along with having Freddie back, Ryan was able to do something else that made his day. He had his picture taken with a real police officer. All around, a good day for everyone. Great cop, great kid great story. They're not all bad folks. In fact, majority of them are not bad at all. All right. 
we uh, want to tell you about one of our sponsors here. Give me a quick second. Where is my... Hang on a second. Where is my notes? I can't find it. <laughs> okay, we'll get to it. Hang on. Don't go too far. It's Skillshare, right? Of course. Skillshare. So many people during the pandemic wound up online, uh, both for meetings, for work, ways to help you get ahead. So online learning has certainly become a thing. And Skillshare is an online learning platform created for both learners and educators. There are more than 30,000 classes to choose from. New courses being added all the time. Courses in design, tech, illustration, business, and a lot more. If you're a learner, you can take an online course of a specific skill, whatever it is that you want to learn, you look through, you'd be amazed. Over 30,000 different courses. If you're a teacher, you can create a course and publish a course on any skill you have and make some side income. Not a bad idea at all. Skillshare offers a wide variety of topics, but the most valuable is in creative topics like design, photography, cinematography, motion graphics, things like that. Now, anyone can take a class. You can do a project. You can even teach a course, whether you are an individual or a team. Check it out. In our show notes down below, you will find a special link that will get you a very special offer only from the Jay Sheldon Show. So click that link, check out Skillshare, and you'll find out more about this amazing, amazing source for both learning and teaching. Use the link in our show notes to get our special offer from Skillshare and the Jay Sheldon Show. Indeed. All right, that's Skillshare. Now it's book time. Are you ready? We read books on this show, and we've been doing that for a very long time. We uh, do all the classics. We've done, oh, Peter Pan. We've done uh, The Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, so many great books. Right now we're doing White Fang, a classic from 1906, written by Jack London. And uh, we're thinking about doing Treasure Island next. It's a long book, but it is the one of the most classics. And uh, I, I, I'm leaning heavily towards uh, doing, doing Treasure Island next. So we'll see. If you got a better suggestion, go to Gutenberg Project, Gutenberg.org. You'll find all of our books there. They're all in the public domain. You can download them in ebook format, HTML, text documents, Word documents. Uh, Gutenberg.org is where we get our books from. They're all uh, publicly available. And uh, check them out. If you find something over there you'd love to hear us read, let us know. All right, we're at Chapter 5. It's called The Covenant. When December was well along, Gray Beaver went on a journey up the Mackenzie. Mitsa and Klukoch went with him. One sled he drove himself, drawn by dogs he'd traded for or borrowed. 
a second and smaller sled was driven by Mitza, and to this was harnessed a team of puppies. It was more of a toy affair than anything else, yet it was the delight of Mitza, who felt he was beginning to do a man's work in the world. Also, he was learning to drive dogs and to train dogs, while the puppies themselves were being broken into the harness. Furthermore, the sled was of some service, for it carried nearly 200 pounds of outfit and food. A white fang had seen the camp dogs toiling in the harness, so that he didn't resent overmuch the first placing of the harness upon himself. About his neck was put a moss-stuffed collar which was connected by two pulling traces to a strap that passed around his chest and over his back. It was to this that he was fastened the long rope by which he pulled at the sled. There were seven puppies in the team. The others had been born earlier in the year and were nine and ten months old, while White Fang was only eight months old. Each dog was fastened to the sled by a single rope, no two ropes were of the same length, while the difference in length between any two ropes was at least that of the dog's body. Every rope brought to a ring at the front end of the sled, and the sled itself was without runners, being a birch bark toboggan, with upturned forward end to keep it from plowing under the snow. The construction enabled the weight of the sled and load to be distributed over the largest snow surface for the snow was crystal powder and very soft. Observing the same principle of widest distribution of weight, the dogs at the end of their ropes radiated fan fashion from the nose of the sled, so that no dog trod in another's footsteps. There was, furthermore, another virtue in the fan formation, the ropes of varying length prevented the dogs attacking from the rear those that ran in front of them. For a dog to attack another, it would have to turn upon one at a shorter rope, in which case it would find itself face to face with the dog attacked, and also it would find itself facing the whip of the driver. But the most peculiar virtue of all lay in the fact that the dog that strove to attack one in front of him must pull the sled faster, and the faster the sled traveled, the faster the dog that attacked ran away. Thus the dog behind could never catch up with the one in front. The faster he ran, the faster ran the other he was after, and the faster ran all the dogs. Incidentally, the sled went faster, and thus by cunning in direction did man increase his mastery over the beasts. Mitza resembled his father, much of whose gray wisdom he possessed. In the past, he'd observed Lip-Lip's persecution of White Fang, but at that time, Lip-Lip was another man's dog, and Mitza had never dared more than to shy an occasional stone at him. But now, Lip-Lip was his dog and he proceeded to wreak his vengeance on him by putting him at the end of the longest rope. This made Lip-Lip the leader. It was apparently an honor, but in reality it took away from him all honor, and instead of being bully and master of the pack, he now found himself hated and persecuted by the pack. Because he ran at the end of the longest rope, 
The dogs always had the view of him running away before them, and all they saw of him was his bushy tail and fleeing hind legs, a view far less ferocious and intimidating than his bristling mane and gleaming fangs. Also, dogs became so constituted in their mental ways, the sight of him running away gave desire to run after him, and a feeling that he ran away from them. The moment the sled started, the team took after Lip Lip in a chase that extended throughout the day. At first, he'd been prone to turn upon his pursuers, jealous of his dignity and wrathful, but at such times, Mitza would throw the stinging lash of the 30-foot caribou gut whip into his face and compel him to turn tail and run on. Lip-Lip might face the pack, but he couldn't face the whip, and all that was left behind for him to do was to keep his long rope taut and his flanks ahead of the teeth of his mates. But still greater cunning lurked in the recesses of the Indian mind. To give point to unending pursuit of the leader, Mitza favored him over the other dogs. These favors aroused in them jealousy and hatred. In their presence, Mitza would give him meat and would give it to him only. This was maddening to them, and they would rage around just outside the throwing distance of the whip while Lip-Lip devoured the meat and Mitza protected him. And when there was no meat to give, Mitza would keep the team at a distance and make believe to give meat to Lip-Lip. White Fang took kindly to the work. He'd traveled a greater distance than the dogs in the yielding of himself to the rule of the gods, and he'd learned more through our thoroughly the futility of opposing their will. In addition, the persecution he'd suffered from the pack had made the pack less to him in the scheme of things and man more. He'd not learned to be dependent on his kind for companionship. Besides, Kiche was well nigh forgotten, and the chief outlet of expression that remained to him was in the allegiance he tendered the gods he'd accepted as his master. So he worked hard, learned discipline. He was obedient. Faithful, willingness characterized his toll. These are essential traits of the wolf and the wild dog when they've become domesticated, and these traits White Fang possessed in unusual measure. A companionship did exist between White Fang and the other dogs, but it was one of warfare and enmity. He never learned to play with them. He knew only how to fight and fight with them he did, returning to them a hundredfold the snaps and slashes they'd given him in the days when Lip-Lip was leader of the pack. But Lip-Lip was no longer the leader, except when he fled away before his mates at the end of his rope, the sled bounding along behind. In camp he kept close to Mitza, or Grey Beaver, or Klukluch, he did not dare venture away from the gods, for now the fangs of the all dogs were against him, and he tasted to the dregs the persecution that had been White Fang's. With the overthrow of Lip Lip, White Fang could have become the leader of the pack, but he was too morose and solitary for that. 
He merely thrashed his teammates, otherwise he ignored them. They got out of his way when he came along, nor did the boldest of them ever dare to rob him of his meat. On the contrary, they devoured their own meat hurriedly for fear that he'd take it away from them. White Fang knew the law well, to oppress the weak and obey the strong. He ate his share of meat as rapidly as he could, and then, woe, the dog who had not finished. A snarl and a flash of fangs, and that dog would wail his indignation to the uncomfortable stars while White Fang finished his portion for him. Every little while, however, one dog or another would flame up and revolt and be promptly subdued. Thus White Fang was kept in training. He was jealous of the isolation in which he kept himself in the midst of the pack, and he fought often to maintain it. But such fights were of brief duration. He was too quick for the others. They were slashed open, bleeding, before they even knew what was happening. They were whipped almost before they began to fight. As rigid as the sled discipline of the gods was the discipline maintained by White Fang among his fellows. He never allowed them any latitude. He compelled them to unremitting respect for him. They might do as they pleased among themselves, but this was of no concern of his. It was his concern they leave him alone in his isolation. Get out of his way when he elected to walk among them. A hint of stiff-leggedness on their part, a lifted lip or a bristle of hair, and he would be upon them. Merciless, cruel, swiftly convincing them of the errors of their ways. He was a monstrous tyrant. Wow! That's not where I expected White Fang to go, but he went there anyway. <laughs> wow. Very cool. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us for tonight. Thank you. Uh, Diggs BTW7. Hey, what's up? Good to have you in on the stream over there on Twitch.tv. Hello. Thanks for joining. Be sure and subscribe and follow. All right, I will see you again on Wednesday night with another edition. Thanks so much for joining us. Be sure to follow hit that button right over there the follow button it really helps to show out a lot there's miko saying goodbye to us see you again wednesday this is the jay sheldon show good night everybody <laughs>